Welcome to Living in the Stacks, the bi-weekly podcast where we curl up with a good book and discuss what we thought of it. I'm John. I'm Melody. Max isn't here. I'm Dex. And I'm Diana. Yeah, Max let us know that uh, that they're uh, that they're not at, at home and can't find a good recording spot. So sad. Max. So we won't have a Max this week, but uh, we will have uh, their thoughts coming in uh, during the discussion portion. But uh, how's everyone been doing? Just peachy. Busy, busy, Begly, busy. Vaguely sleep deprived. We got new puppies the other day. <gasps> oh, puppers. Oh. What kind of puppers? Uh, three quarter dachshund chewinis. Chewinis. Chihuahua. Chihuahua. I figured. <laughs> Chihuahuas. <laughs> they're freaking adorable, but oh, I bet. you know. But they're little pupper. They're little babies. Right. They're ten weeks old. They're <laughs> probably about the equivalent of a one year old child. Yeah, probably. So yeah. <laughs> Dex and Stacy are gonna have to wrangle little, little, little babers. Oh yeah, I've been calling them the Muppets. Aww, because they're floppy and uncoordinated. That's precious. I love it. <laughs> also, you named them what? Sock and Katara. Yep. Little boy is a uh, smooth-haired, and his name is Sokka. And little girl is has like the longer wavy coat, and she's Katara. Because I'm a nerd. And so is my wife. It happens. So. <laughs> you know, it's good. So, it's good y'all found each other. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I made her watch Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, if you weren't someone who was going to have to at some point. Oh, yeah. She freaking loved it. So. Exactly. Aww. I don't think I've met a person who did, like, Korra is, is more divisive, but... I don't think I've met a single person who did not like Avatar The Last Airbender. I'll tell you what I didn't like about Korra, and I only watched the first season, but I didn't like the love triangle, quadrangle bullshit. Yeah. It it focused a little too much on the romance and not enough about the Avatar. Exactly. The romance wasn't as interesting, wasn't as compelling as as just the the actual plot going on around the, the season. Like, you can do romance and have those sorts of will-they-won't-they's, but you have to write them that way. You can't just be like, well, you know, it can't just be like, oh, crushes and relations, and we have no idea how to relationship. Yeah. Anyways, that was quite the tangent. Leave the shipping to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did get some extra reading uh, in this this past couple of weeks. I got back in. I went on a overhaul and grabbed a whole bunch of books that I was never that I never got around to. But I did get some that were uh, old books that I used to read by Dougal Dixon. For those who don't know, Dougal Dixon is, I believe, a naturalist, or he may be a full-on paleontologist. Um, let me double check. But apparently, I watched a thing he did. Uh, yeah, he's a paleontologist based out of uh, the UK. He's Scottish. And he, I apparently one of my old shows I rediscovered called Dinosaurs, Fun Fact and Fantasy was was written by him. Oh wow! And he also did a series of books about evolution. Hmm. 
The first one was called Afterman, the zo- Zoology of the Future, where he basically made up a future uh, list of species based on what would happen if humans disappeared and animals were left to evolve as they as they would naturally. So, like, rats evolved to become the predator class, and, like, rabbits would evolve into the antelope, become what, what, what we now know as antelopes. And it was... He, so, then he did one where dinosaurs, how dinosaurs would have evolved if they didn't die out. So the, 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 the one about the future animals is kind of like the future is wild. In fact, he did write that. Oh, he, he wrote for the future is wild? Yep, 2003. He wrote, he, he wrote for the program, the future is wild. Fuck yeah. I freaking wow. loved that show. Yeah. Uh, I and, wish I could freaking find I wish it was on Netflix. I have the DVDs. <laughs> Because yeah. it's it's, it was an amazing show, and I, it was so wildly inventive. That show is why I think w- when the next mass extinction happens, squid, are g- squid and octopi are going to be the ones that take over the Earth next. Yeah. Well, that's not terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I uh, mean, we'll be, we'll be dead, so, you know. Fair. Dead or off world. Right. Then I'm not going to worry uh, about it. <laughs> but yeah, Google Dixon is, uh, is, a, is a, just a wonderfully inventive He's a paleontologist, but he knows exactly how to spec. He's like it's almost like speculative evolution, and it was. And I loved the books growing up, and I reread them again, and they're almost like nature books. And the first, and the first one after man is actually like written like it was some uh, naturalist's notes documenting. Uh, so it looks almost like one of Darwin's uh, notebooks from when he was recording. His findings on evolution, it, it's really beautifully thought out and executed. The only one that I didn't really care for in retrospect is something called Man After Man, which was him speculating how human beings would evolve into different forms. And it's not as well thought out or put together. It's like weird things like we evolved into like a, a relationship where one's like a giant man who's all hairy, looks like a yeti, and it carries around a tiny man who does a lot of stuff. So we're like Master Blaster or something. Then there's like a little meatball-looking guy with beady eyes, and he lives in space. And it's it wasn't it wasn't as good. I animals are more <laughs> interesting to people. <laughs> I've just been reading the big Hamilton book. Neat. Yup. I was trying I to prep. That. I was trying to read it before I saw it, and then that didn't happen. So yeah, I still have Melody's more to read. got to see. You, you, got, you. How'd you like it live? It was a good time, except for the ushers. Uh, I was sitting on the edge on the house left, um, on an aisle way. So all the ushers kind of came out and sat on the stairs right next to us, and they were like chatting and on their phones. And I'm like, guys. I paid money. Come on. You volunteered That's... and are seeing this for Take free. it outside. Could you maybe respect the fact that I had to pay a lot of money to see this? <laughs> yeah, I would. I but would it was really cool. Oh, yeah. And then someone's, uh, there's a really, uh, and during one of the duels, there's a very intense part uh, where all the sound drops out. No spoilers, even though it's history. But uh, <laughs> someone's stupid iPhone went off. You know. And so, like. It was very silent, intense, and then you hear the stupid marimba thing. And it was someone being expensive. So I was irritated about that. But it was really cool. Yeah, you know, when Madonna went to go see Hamilton, she wanted to go backstage. And 
Lin-Manuel refused to see Madonna because he saw her texting during the show. So he said, oh. nope. Meanwhile, he's, he's, like, he's like having a buddy, buddy ship build up between him and Prince Harry. Of course. I mean, he's friends like with him, everybody. Like him, Prince... Yeah, he, he, Lynn is good people. He is. He's the fourth McElroy brother. Uh, exactly. He is. It's precious. Yeah, yeah I love. I, I, I love seeing how his career's progressed, and I, and it's so crazy to think that he and I are all are both fans of the same thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like learning that Ronda Rousey was into Pokemon. <laughs> I don't know if she's still into Pokemon or, or if it was just, oh, yeah, I grew up into Pokemon. Or Neopets. Neopets. Exactly. Oh, God, Neopets. Uh, so coming anyway, back, y'all. Neopets is coming it, back. It's, it's coming back, y'all. Yeah. The Neopets are making a comeback. I'm all for uh, it. The only reason I got into Neopets is because I heard the cast of uh, Harry Potter had accounts. <laughs> I got into it because uh, I thought you could dress up the animals, which you can, but you also can't. <laughs> uh, so I, I quickly switched uh, to Gaia Online once it was available to fulfill my dress-up needs. I tried Maple Story a couple times, but it was it, it was basically pre four chan kids screwing with each other in an RPG in a MMORPG like storybook setting. The love the concept. I don't like the user base. You have to fo- know. You have to have a group of friends already in there, or else you're just going to be surrounded by a bunch of little dicks. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, we this week, uh, well, these couple, this, this episode, uh, we read uh, for to close out required reading cycle. The required reading cycle. We read Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Now, has anyone read this before? Nope. Nope. I didn't even get to read it this time. Wow, so I'm actually one of the only ones who actually was assigned this in class. Yeah, I was never assigned this. I was assigned this in middle school. And true story, this is my first time actually finishing the book because I didn't finish it when I was first assigned it. (laughs) I just BS'd my way to uh, the the final questions for the homework because... I gave up. Like me, today. <laughs> you at least you could. Your excuse is you couldn't get a copy. True, true. All the freaking digital copies for the Cuyahoga County Library were checked out. I went to my actual library. In the entire, like the only hard copies that the Cuyahoga County Library has are classroom sets, essentially, and they only have like one fifteen-piece classroom set hmm. which when I asked the uh, the librarians about it they were all sorts of bent out of shape about it and they were like filing complaints with their <laughs> superiors <laughs> about needing to get more hard copies uh, of I, this book I love librarians and I would have bought it but you don't want to risk buying the book and not liking it well I, I this was around the time I was also shopping for puppies <laughs> <laughs> and you know, puppies cost more than cost books. more than books. And you know, I'm sorry, I love y'all, but the puppies are more important than making sure I read the book. <laughs> sorry. And, and, and but you did get a chance to look at. The- I did look at the spark notes, and I can say enough that 
I really wish I had been able to get a hold of it because it looks like it's right up my alley. That kind of dystopian, you know, Soci- shit goes yeah. to fuck fuckville type of. <laughs> That's a nice terminology. <laughs> shit goes to fuckville. <laughs> shit goes. It sounds like a, a rejected Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> shit goes, goes to, to fuckville. fuckville. <laughs> I enjoy this. Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh wow! I might have to, I might, might have to make a short poem about that. Exactly, make that into Do a kid's it. book. <laughs> it, it'll go right along with "Go the fuck to sleep." Oh yes. <laughs> uh, get 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 an artist to rent to draw Doctor Seuss style things of when shit goes to fuckville. Oh my god! And it's just literally all curse words. All the proper nouns are just variations on curse words. Yep. You're, you're, the main character is shit. You and he goes have to fuck. damn, bitch, asshole, shitballs. <laughs> well, we definitely earned our explicit tag this week. <laughs> you did it like uh, it's a bad okay. thing. <laughs> I'm just saying we earned it. Like, sometimes we just say one or two things, but nope, we got it. Oh, uh, well, you know what? George Carlin, here we go. Yeah. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cock, sugar, motherfucker, tits, Fart, turd, and twat. Nice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, so I did. I did find some really interesting aspects of Bradbury and uh, going through and looking into his uh, biography. So Bradbury was born in on August twenty second. So actually, after by the time he, we missed his, uh, oh, oh crap, uh, his ninety eighth. Anniversary, birth anniversary, because technically birth. you can't have a birthday if you're dead. Oh, really? Is that a thing? I don't know. I think I feel like I I feel like that should be a thing. It's like saying Mickey Mouse has a birthday. Mickey Mouse wasn't born. He he's a he's a fictional creation. What? Who is Mickey? If he if if he has a birthday, then what anthropomorphic mouse woman birthed him from her vagina? Hmm. Thank you for that wonderful mental image. Anyway, <laughs> because the one I got into my head. Was Walt Disney's ear morphing into a vagina and... (laughs) That's not how birth sounds. (laughs) I wouldn't know. know. I think Diana's the only one that could comment on this. I'm sorry, what am I trying to verify? The sound of birth... Uh, never. The sound We're of gonna, birth. Moving on. The sound the, of silence. The sounds of, the sounds of us... Already going off the rails. Oh my god! Mm. Uh, I'm gonna have to think on how I would like to describe that in a both attackful yet informative way. Mm. That's for another <laughs> podcast. That's for that's for Sawbones. Sydney McElroy can come up with how to describe that. Our birth story, the sights and sounds. Oh my god! <laughs> that also depends on uh, C-section or otherwise. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> Point is, <laughs> August twenty second was when August twenty second, nineteen twenty, was when uh, Bradbury was born. So in two years' time, we will have reached the centenary, the centen- yeah, the centennial anniversary of his birth. Because I mean, you can't celebrate. Uh, why would you celebrate the birthday of somebody who's dead? It's like happy birthday. Uh, it Shakespeare all the damn President's time. Day? Well, that's yeah, exactly. That's why President's Day is a stupid excuse to just sell furniture and cars. So it depends. In school, do we get to throw a party for it? Exactly. I mean, we did for Shakespeare. I mean, there hello. you go. 
Okay. I'm pretty sure we did for uh, uh, Dr. Seuss, too. Okay. And I think we've done anyway, it for Judy Blume. seriously ping-ponging around here today. Oh, okay. Well, Judy Blume anyway. still alive. Sorry. True. <laughs> don't, don't, do this, don't do this yet. <laughs> Two weeks' time, we find out Judy Blume's dead. Sorry. <laughs> and Diana killed her. my fault. I'm sorry. Anyway, he is actually descended from Mary Bradbury, one of the women tried in the Salem Witch Trials. Hmm. Fun fact about Ray Bradbury's life. So he's, his father has been descended from a long line of various English, um, you know, immigrant, you know, from a long line of, of people who lived in this country from England, who immigrated from England. So he has ties all the way back to Puritan. To the, his father had ties back to the, the Puritans, and I think his mom immigrated uh, either first or second generation. At any rate... Uh, he was surrounded by extended family, and he even would have an aunt that would read his stories to him as a little kid. So he developed a love of reading and the, and, and the written word at an early age. He actually began writing his own stuff at age 11. And he spent a lot of time at the library, self-admittedly, three days a week for 10 years. Which wow. pretty much sounds exactly like what I would have done if I had the time. Uh he was all. He also admittedly imitated Poe's writing style until he was eighteen. So, if you if you worry that you're imitating somebody else's style as a writer or as uh, you know somebody as a, as a creator, don't worry. They do it all. That's a, that's a thing that everybody does. So he got his start in fan fiction. Oh, also yes, he got his start writing a fan sequel to the Warlord oh. of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs at a, at age twelve. I actually did not read that. I was just going off of imitating Poe. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yes. For, remember, kids, fa- every, almost everybody does fan fiction, including your favorite authors. Yeah. Uh, he I'm... wrote... Oh, sorry. Uh, he actually wrote the script for... He wrote down the radio show Chandu the Magician. Chandu the Magician? I don't know. It's, it was the 20s. But he was able to memorize this radio program and write down the script from memory. I just, I just immediately after the radio, the episode was done for the week. He wrote down the script. So this, that, this he was one of those kids. What is that called? No, that's not diabetic. No it's, idea. What's the word? We'll have to look that up. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I don't, whatever the word is for having that sort of memory. It's like eidetic memory for sound. Uh, Audietic? Anyway, uh, moving right along. <laughs> uh, he, his family tried le- living in Tucson, Arizona twice in his lifetime. He grew up in Waukegan, Illinois. So, I wish Bats was here. He's the one that lives in Illinois. He might be able to tell us where Waukegan is. But basically, it's small town Illinois, um, and echoic memory. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so he, his family, uh, his father was a a linesman. He he actually laid down the the electrical lines for the for for the county, and his father tried leaving Waukegan for Tucson on two occasions in 1926 and 27, and 1932 and 33. But both times they couldn't. They, his 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 finance. Their finances never worked out, so they had to move back to Waukegan. And eventually, they were able to uh, finally leave uh, Waukegan for Los Angeles in 1934. Uh, Waukegan is Lake County, part of the Chicago Metro. Okay, so he was actually 
Okay, that's North Chicago. So actually, this is really bad that Max is in here because that's that's his neck of the woods. The one episode Max isn't here. Hmm. Uh, uh, once he was in, yeah. So he was fourteen when he when his family moved to Los Angeles, and he so he became involved in the theater at his local school, and he would actually roller skate around L.A. to try and meet celebrities. Because he was not only was he into writing, he eventually became really involved and in, invested in films. Like he would even sneak into his local movie theater, uh, which was, which was the uh, Uptown Theater. No idea if it's still there, but that at the time was the flagship theater for MGM and Fox Pictures. So when they released a new th- movie, they would release it in the Uptown Theater in L.A. And he would get to meet, you know, random celebrities that were coming to visit the, visit the theater for a premiere. Uh, while he was roller skating around, he actually got the chance to meet Ray Harryhausen, the uh, special effects innovator who did mostly stop motion. And he also got to meet George Burns. And his first, pa- his first payment as a writer, yeah, his first payment as a writer came from selling a joke to George Burns at the age of 14. He wow. sold a joke to George Burns at 14 that ended up on his radio program. So at 14, just hanging around L.A., Rose getting around, running into famous, celebra- famous, famous people that he recognized. He was able to kind of build up these sorts of relationships. And he also started getting involved in the local science fiction community as well. So he shared ideas with the uh, sci-fi writer Bob Olson, who mainly wrote for the story collection magazine Amazing Stories. Basically, if you remember, Amazing Stories is one of those old pulp magazines from back in the 20s and 30s. If they, They're long gone now, but they were like collections of short stories in a book that would be sold at like convenience stores and whatnot. And he also uh, joined the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society at the age of 16. That's a, that group meets to this day. They actually still hold meetings in Los Angeles to this day. So the same group that Ray Bradbury was a part of meets to get, has regular writers meeting together in LA, which I think is just neat. Uh, he's he, what, like being a library kid. He was well-read. He read Edgar Rice Burroughs, Edgar Allan Poe, Arthur C. Clarke, H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, Alexander Pope. And, um, he also, and there was a, I'll skip that one. It was basically a fun anecdote about him meeting a famous director uh, but that was later on in his life. Uh, his first published story was in the January 1938 issue at the age of 18 to the sci-fi fanzine Imagine, which was fanzines were basically self-published magazines dedicated towards a specific subject, in this case, science fiction. And that publisher, Forrest J. Ackerman, gave Bradbury money to attend the first world science fiction convention in New York City. So... He's just his things are just happening for him at this point. At eighteen, he's already given the chance to uh, visit the visit a sci-fi convention to further um, become involved in the community. And Ackerman, who was a very famous publisher at the time, an agent even, would also go to fund Bradbury's own fanzine, Futuria Fantasia. So Bradbury, at like eighteen twenty, was having his own publication where he could uh, showcase his writing. Uh, contributed to film magazines. Uh, he was rejected from service in the military during World War II due to his bad eyesight, so he could focus more on his writing. He wrote plays and acted 
for a group called the Wilshire Players Guild for two years. And he's commented that they're so bad, he gave up playwriting for decades. Which, being in a, bad, being in a group like that, and it, if it's really awful, we'll do that to you. Wow. Uh, he, sold his, he sold his first story in 1942 for the equivalent of $200 in today's money. And he became a full. T- he focused on becoming a full time writer by the age of, by the age of twenty four, and he would pub- most of his stuff would be short stories. So he would be sending stuff off to magazines and fanzines, and he even got spotted by Truman Capote and published in the women's magazine Mademoiselle, and that would be featured in the collection of O. Henry Award nominated short stories, and this was like at twenty five twenty six. Uh, eventually, he did. He wrote uh, Fahrenheit 451 in leading up to the 50s by renting out the UCLA library's typewriter, and eventually costing, which eventually cost him the equivalent of a hundred dollars to use. So back in the day, you could rent the typewriter, kind of like how libraries have computers available now. Mm-hmm. You could rent the typewriter from them and do your own typing. And so he, instead of owning a typewriter, he used the UCLA library's one. And spent a hundred dollars to finally to to write out the manuscript for Fahrenheit 451. Wow. Uh, his first published novel was just a collection of short stories that uh, we know as the Martian Chronicle. Martian Chroni- Chronicles? No, what is it? Martian something. Why can't I remember the name of it? Uh, they tried to turn it into a really stupid made-for-TV movie. Uh, Martian something. Why is it gone? Why, why, why is my do- brain... Do- Mar- it was the Martian Chronicles. So yeah, that was his first, coll- first published book, was that collection of short stories, which is just about the colonization of Mars. And I lost my place. Uh, bu- 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 okay. Um, he also explored his childhood in Waukegan in stories like Dandelion Wine and Something Wicked This Way Comes. So that would be... So in like, there's like a a good collection of his short stories and novels that feature a small town in Illinois. And that's basically his equivalent for Waukegan, kind of like how Stephen King will write in Castle Rock, Maine yeah. as, as the equivalent of his childhood. Okay. Also, he uh, stopped, he shifted from short stories to poems and plays in the seventies and would even adapt his own short stories for TV and film. Um, famously, he short, adapted his short story, the lighthouse, I believe, um, incident or the incident at the lighthouse, which eventually became the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which was animated by his friend Ray Ray Harryhausen. Oh, yeah. So, so he also adapted his uh, story, Something Wicked This Way Comes, for the Disney adaptation. So he had, he even adapted a play version of Fahrenheit Four Fifty One eventually. So he had no problem adapting his own work uh, if the if if the need called for it. Uh, he also had a, a, a uh, TV series in the 80s and 90s uh, in the same vein as uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Let me find his... That's bibliography. Where is the... I forget what the... T- Apparently, he was, uh, one of his... You know, his stories were also adapted for things like uh, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And where is I the... Know, I knew he was big on The Twilight Zone. Ray Bradbury, the, the Ray Bradbury Theater from 1985 to 1992. He, he, it, was basically, it was mostly his short stories being adapted either by him or by other writers at the time. And so that aired for seven years 
hosted by, and hosted in syndication. So he had his own anthology series uh, for television as well. So, I mean, this guy is prolific all over the place. Event, his collection features 30 books, 600 short stories, and as, on top of that, his, collect, his unmar- you know, various types of uh, poems, plays, and other types of write- essays. This, he was always writing. Um, I did tell Dex this, though. Uh, towards the end, he became a bit co- more controversial to, uh, towards uh, the 80s and, and 90s and into the later half of his eight, later years of his life. Uh, in the 90s, he thought PC culture was equivalent to censorship. Okay. And there's a quote from an interview he gave where he said, Black groups want to control our thinking, and you can't say certain things. The homosexual groups don't want you to criticize them. It's thought control and freedom of speech control. Which... Not being a fucking dick, really, but you know, whatever. But yeah, exactly. Bradbury was... It it felt really weird to know that Bradbury was in line with the guys from South Park and Edgelords on YouTube. Hmm. It's really... That became a really sad thought in my head. Yeah, he... Uh, He also... He's timeless in both good and bad ways. Yeah. Uh, He also resisted technology. Uh, we have too many cell phones. We have too many. We've got too many internets. <laughs> actual quote. We have to get rid of these mach- those machines. We have too many machines now. He sounds like a and fact, day prepper. Exactly. He he insisted he'd only allow for ebook rights to his work if they were made available for free to the library. So he was one of the first uh, authors to insist that. Libraries get ebooks for free from publishers, and he's kind of in a, in a way he innovated that sense too. Because I don't think it, but this was like 2010s. He sold it to Simon and Schuster under the um, stipulation that he that they would be free for library copies. And eventually, I think that's kind of what is the what is made available now is that libraries will get ebook copies from the publishers to give out, but in the same vein as their regular books. Yeah. Well, that's cool, and I appreciate that. Yeah, that that's the thing. He was a very big advocate of the libraries. He even paid for he even raised money for the local LA libraries around his neighborhood in order so that they would ne- so they would never go out uh from you know, they would never go bankrupt and have to close down. And he eventually after his death gave his entire collection to the Waukegan Libra- Public Library. Hmm. And even towards the end of his life, uh when he couldn't write, he would always use a typewriter. And when he couldn't type anymore, he would dictate to his daughters. He had four daughters uh, with his wife. And one of his daughters would write out what he was dictating well into well until he passed in 2012. Hmm. Hmm. So he was, a, he was a big proponent of the libraries. He even said, I was telling Dex this too, is that he said that libraries raised him. And that he saw more need for libraries than he did for like universities, hmm. and that and that yeah, and I and I, I and I like that aspect about him because as long as you have a well-funded library, you can learn just about anything. Yeah, you can just teach it yourself. The only problem comes from you can't teach yourself like medicine and law and you know more stuff that would require more schooling sciences. You would need to go for training for that, but for basic general knowledge, you could just go to the library and start re- and just continue to read. And I like that he supported libraries, but the fact that 
he also did a racist Will's a racist and a homophobe mainly in the sense that he did not like that that society was being told what to say as though that's equivalent to minority groups asking that oh hey can you not talk to us like assholes treat us like garbage (sighs) yeah uppity don't be a dick yeah darn uppity minorities God, I hate such. I hate that's the part I like least about him is that then he also basically said that by the time since the internet was in full swing by the time of his death he said he said I think in the early two thousands that we had reached the kind of dystopia and he dystopia he predicted in Fahrenheit four fifty one. I mean, he's not PC wrong. Culture and the internet. <laughs> yeah, he really isn't wrong there. <laughs> he's not wrong there. Like in some places, I, I'm yeah. gonna say that I felt a little bit called out in moments of this book. Yeah. I mean, we haven't quite gotten to fireman setting. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the full-on government censorship yet. But but Cheeto Hitler is trying to. Sorry. The internet. If the internet was all bad, it would be gone. But it's not all bad. So exactly. That's why. That's yeah. yeah. That's why I kind of differentiate with him is that. Allowing for people to access the library from their home through the internet is amazing. I mean, that's kind of what the internet is. It's just a massive library. Exactly. Yeah, it's, you just it's need free. better curators. Yeah, we need to be better curators yeah. for ourselves, and we just need to not be assholes. So, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's... And, of course, this has been adapted twice, but I'll get into the adaptations uh, after we get into the discussion which I think we will do right now. I think we've gone on enough. Uh, So let's get into that discussion. Yeah. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Rurouni is a neologism created by the original author of the Rurouni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. We are back. So, not having been assigned this before, what did everybody think of the book? For those of us that were able to read it. <laughs> well, I feel called out. <laughs> Good. Oh, wait, you did call me out. You literally You called you out. I did yeah, call you out. Yeah, you, uh, you did that to yourself. Story of my life. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I said previously, I felt a little called out in some moments, uh, particularly about the whole not being able to hold an intelligent conversation from time to time. Uh, yeah. I think that's a human yeah, thing. I, yeah, exactly. it's, it's definitely a human thing, uh, but I, I enjoyed that. I found, um, like, I mean, before we started doing this podcast, I really hadn't been reading that much, and, you know, I didn't put... I mean, I valued books, but I was just like, eh, it's not really my thing. But kind of reading this book, especially when, um, what's his face, Faber? 
Yeah. Uh, Fabian? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, Faber. Yeah, yeah the, the professor. When he starts kind of discussing the the three pieces that the society is missing, you know, and then, like, quality was one of them. How, like, so much of the media that we consume nowadays is just not, like, worth consuming. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think it, it kind of uh, hit me in a place where you're like, you know, I really do need to, like, seek out quality and you know um really value books as a a form of you know thought exploration and kind of i don't know intellectualizing yourself so it made me feel happy that at this point in my life i i am reading a book but yeah i also felt a little called out i did like it though (laughs) i yeah i i i think i'm i I, part of me is kind of more um more uh combative towards the some of the thoughts in here because knowing what i know about bradbury i think kind of colored that as old man yells at cloud (laughs) get off my horn exactly old man bradbury's yelling at the damn kids again but at the same but he's not i mean he was predicting this stuff in the 50s yeah a lot of what he predicted did come true you know wall-sized screens for stuff um Drones. He 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 helped predict, you know, drone, you know, artificially intelligent drones, or like at least like you know, you know, drones that were able to act of of their own, uh, you know, automated, you know, automation. And he also predicted a lot of, you know, the fact that the more simplistic you make society, the less happy you'll eventually become, and that's why you see people because they can't. Um, they aren't see- seeing happiness in the in the traditional forms. They all like everybody in this book that's part of the current society is depressed in some way. They they like Montag is acting out and rebelling against it. Um, you see that with Beatty, he is kind of like sort of be kind of res- you know resolved to like yeah this is how it is and this is you know he kind of puts on the whole. Um, facade that this it's better this way, but it's not like he fights back against Montag when Montag eventually turns. And then we our introduction to Mildred is that she's commit almost committed suicide from overdosing on sleeping pills. Yeah, one one thing I did I got from it like things that kind of scared me about it is that um, like the idea that news is more for entertainment and consumption rather than like necessarily uncovering the truth, like trying to make the news an entertaining event, um, which would be realized thirty years later with the with the uh, advent of twenty four hour news cycles. Yeah, so like that was a thing where you know people don't necessarily um, ca- like. I mean, they care about what's happening in the news, but. I don't know. A lot of it's just it's it's yeah. nothing to them. Like <laughs> like that's the whole thing is that there's a war like going many, on. How in... many shooting things have we seen and we're just like, "Oh, another shooting." And then Exactly. It, just it becomes monotonous. <laughs> exactly. All the horrors of the society are are forgotten because people would rather focus on their their stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean that's Exactly, and as much and as much as that's a valid criticism, unfortunately, that's also been ad- adopted by a lot of uh, people. Who are like, yo, why don't you open your eyes, sheeple? See the world around you, man. And I feel like that as much as you do, people do need to recognize what's going on in the world around them. 
you can't always fault people for def- for relying on traditional like means of escapism because try having that on your on your on your mind all the time drives you crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think there was an argument against escapism in the book necessarily because obviously oh, yeah. books themselves are can be escapism. Um it was not it was just true. Yeah. Well, that's the nice thing too is that they established that the government didn't mandate anything. People, it's which is it's another thing that we predicted with the advent of social media okay. that the that the changes being done to society were accepted because people just wanted things simpler. So, so he didn't do the whole data collection aspect of things, but the the way that Facebook and Google have taken over were done. Under the guise of, hey, we're just making things simpler for you. And people are like, yeah, that's, that's all I need. So, yeah, hey, Alexa, tell, you know, hey, Alexa, tell, you know, tell me about this car thing while you collect information so, I can, so you can sell me cars. I, I mean, I think that's also a good explanation of why we had the rise of reality TV. Like, it just kind of, it was very, it was a slow burn and then it just exploded because people didn't want to have to pay attention to shows. Right. I just want to turn on, okay, like, I don't have to know what's going on on Fixer Upper because every episode's different. I don't have to follow a story. Just look at the pretty house. That's it. Exactly. Every episode's the same, but they're different enough. Yeah. Pick your, pick your housewife you... location. They're all drunk and they're all yelling at each other. Good. I'm in. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Here's the two guys picking antiques. What do they find this time? Who knows? Exactly. Who cares? It's just something you can pl- tune in. Tune in. Tune out, you know, tune, tune in, drop in, out. What, out what, yeah. What's the, yeah, what, turn off, tune in, turn off, whatever the phrase yeah. is. It was something about acid, Pretty I remember. Much. Exactly. Um, I was going to say something else, too. Uh, uh, must have been a lie. But, yeah, it's, we, and I think that's the thing is that you see this, you know, when we're introduced, Bradbury is great at, at developing this society and understanding that making it realistic enough that you could see this happening, and in a lot of ways it has. Mm-hmm. It's just also there's just also the parts that he wants to emphasize are still there. They're just adapting with the cha- with the change in technology. Yeah. yeah. What what I found fascinating is that I'm in my book. There was um, pretty much every introduction to the book that's ever been written for the book was in the back of Ooh. it, <laughs> and nice. so one of them was uh, Margaret Atwood, and mm. she. I mean, I had this thought while I was reading it, and I, you know, it kind of brought up with my husband as I have my little epiphanies throughout the book. Um, but she was saying, you know, this book came out when people first stopped having dinners and like having TV dinners. Um, like that's kind of where the energy for this story came from. How you know people aren't sitting across from each other and having conversations anymore. We're just staring into screens. Um, so it's fascinating to think that someone really kind of was able to escalate just that beginning point of the technology and like extend it this far to where it's still relevant now. Absolutely. The funny thing, though, is those same people who complain about the, uh, the evolution of TVs would, would say the same things about like radio and news, even newspapers. The, the dying industry of newspapers was once considered a blight on society because people were not talking to each other. They were sitting there reading the newspaper. I think, every, unfortunately, every technology has this, but it's just a matter of how people adapt to the technology and are able to function 
with it, with or without it. And there isn't a right or wrong way, it's just what way works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, real, real talk, uh, how, how familiar are, you, are y'all with the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl? <laughs> uh, pretty, uh, fairly familiar. Uh, would you call Clar- like she's not a full manic pixie dream girl? I know by definition, <laughs> but her introduction into the story and her function—do you see? Her- could you qualify her as a manic pixie dream girl? Mm, I wouldn't say so, just because there's not the romantic element in it. Yeah, that's- I think that's an important part in that particular trope: is that there has to be like. A there, weird a, friend a, zoning, yeah, di- dynamic and, in and it, and like crushing and yeah, unrequited love. Yeah, so you and, know, yeah, the fascination <laughs> part for sure, and the the otherworldliness, I guess maybe. Uh, that's kind of what the, that's kind of what made me think of it. Is yeah. that here comes this sixteen-year-old girl in the book, and no other adaptation is she sixteen. Uh, she just kind of yeah, because that's creepy. Pops up, starts talking to him, and kind of has hit, kind of eventually is essentially there to make him rethink, make him go home and rethink his life. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to sell you death sticks anymore. Yeah. He wants to go home and rethink his life. <laughs> no, I think that's what. No, I, I totally understand why your brain went there. Uh, makes sense, but yeah, but we, it, she's not a true manic pixie dream girl. Exactly, <laughs> uh, but she is that. She's that. She's the catalyst for all this. My question is, where would a girl like this, like, come from? They, if she was they homeschooled. Described, okay. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> well, she, okay, she was homeschooled, like... but she also had, like, very... Tr- it's like, you know how there will be those families who... We don't have television in the house. We don't have... You know, we, we don't have... Yeah. You know, you can't use your phone at the dinner table. You know, her family dictated what media and what... Okay. what What sort of aspects of culture she was... Given so, she had. A, I think her uncle was the most outlandish in the fact that I think he used to be. Did he used to be a professor? Did she say? I forget. But they would sit there down and an talk to each other. That was just all over the place that she talked about a lot. Yeah, exactly. So she got this way because her family raised her to be more traditional, and not and none of them embraced the advent of, of the technology mm. going on. Okay, but like. They would have been noticed by their neighbors and wiped out. A well, they didn't collect books. Sooner. Well, they didn't collect the books. They just didn't embrace, you know, the TV screens and whatnot. So they were the library uh, users. They read the book and then got rid of them. You know, gave it back. <laughs> exactly. If nothing else, they just actually talked to each other more than, you know, using the seashelf earbuds and uh, yes, Ray Bradbury invented TVs. earbuds. <laughs> Essentially. Blue, he 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 came up with the idea of Bluetooth earbuds. Oh, the whole time was this before or after the Cybermen? Uh, ooh, well, this was nineteen fifty-three, written in fifty-one, published in fifty-three. I felt so. Cybermen could have been could have come. No, from six, no, he, they premiered in the sixties. Yes, so they could have come from this concept. Ooh, Possible. I felt called yeah, out. He, he was very influential. Influential. <laughs> <laughs> Influential. So, I mean, Bradbury, they could have, as science fiction writers, definitely have a tend to read off one another and, like, well, I can take this idea and do this with it. Everything is fan fiction, is basically what we're saying here. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, after meeting Clarice, we well we haven't really talked about the the we haven't really broken down the premise here for those who don't know. Basically, in the distant in the not too dis- distant for them, not too distant for us. I think it's like a decade off, maybe at at the most mm-hmm. uh, for us here. But in the fi- in the future, um, books have been outlawed. Uh, you you not by like demand, not by like decree, but essentially like they've been outmoded. And in order to ensure that nobody goes back into those days, because they thought of books as allowing too much freedom of thought, and that's what was causing all the chaos in the world, despite the fact that they're constantly at war. So what? I don't know. It's the kind of hypocrisy of the of the majority government, but. In order to prevent books from from causing, you know, sowing more seeds of discord, they were burned. And the term, you know, the title comes from his uh, actually um, misguided uh, attempt to write out the, you know, use the temp- temperature degrees Fahrenheit at which paper burns. I forget what the actual degree degree is, but it it, it was it was slightly off from the actual. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I saw this on the Wikipedia, and it, it's actually, like, between, like, 422 and, like, 470, depending on the type of paper. Exactly. So, so that like, was just kind of an, uh, an average temperature. 422, blaze it. jeez. <laughs> 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 oh, um, so, yeah, and then they... <laughs> But after a after a great civil war, they also rewrote history so that they said, "Oh, we ne- firefighters never well firemen. They were all men, but yeah, firemen never put out fires. They only they only lit fires. And so, Brett, Benjamin Franklin was the was the first fireman, and he burned <laughs> the idea of Benjamin Franklin burning books is kind of like ludicrous in its own in its own way. Leonardo Hotman. <laughs> um. But Montag, Guy Montag is our main, our, our protagonist is this, he's basically having essentially a midlife crisis, even though he's like, what, 30-something, 40-something? It's midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's like, he, wh- what he's doing isn't making him happy, it is, and eventually it is revealed that he's been collecting books as contraband and trying to understand them, why they're burning them. And he nothing about nothing that he's doing is bringing him happiness, mm-hmm. and it isn't until he finally breaks free from the society that he does finally achieve some form of happiness. And it takes Clarice's uh, kind of pushing him off that edge in order for him to finally realize that. But while that's going on, uh, you, there's also talk of an ongoing conflict uh, between very between uh, superpowers, and so jets are always buzzing overhead. Uh, and there's always the constant threat of annihilation in the background, but people are uh, turned off to that by focusing on these like soap operas and in listening to music on their little seashell air- earbuds. And Montag's wife, uh, Mil- uh, Mildred, is we our first introduction to her is having almost died from an overdose of sleeping pills, and she is so kind of. You know, she. After that, she is fully embraced into the society. She just doesn't remember anything. So it's, she's not like overtly depressed. It's just a subtle thing where she is so tuned out from everything that she can't remember how many sleeping pills she took, and it's uh, it's almost like a subtle nudge of like she. You can tell she's not really happy, but she's just. Um, 
keep cal keeping calm and carrying on, essentially. Well, she's just clinging to uh, her vices at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Something I thought was funny about it is that uh, the way the, like, Ear earbud things were kind of described made it sound like she was just binging podcasts <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like oh no now uh, we all listen to podcasts too I felt extra called out <laughs> um, you also and, and then of course you also it's also very prevalent that Guy and Mildred don't really love each other it, it's, it's a loveless marriage it's, it's almost like they're because why get divorced now but they're not they're not unhappy enough to get divorced but they're not happy enough to be in a loving marriage they're just kind of there like everybody else apparently <laughs> everybody's just kind of there I, uh, I, I'm single I wouldn't know no I'm talking about like what you how you described oh story. the book I was gonna say real I, I mean aren't you in a happy sometimes <laughs> Oh. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, Stacy, don't listen to this. She doesn't. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, and then of course, uh, the one thing that that's kind of sadly been left out of every adaptation is this hound as well. And so, like, while while Montag is kind of like have, is uh, basically sleepwalking his way through his routine, one of these things after he's met Clarice. He's also starting to notice that this this eight-legged robot with a giant needle in its mouth that they call the Hound has been targeting him for some reason. And it's never quite revealed until... It, I think kind of, they hint at why, finally, in the third part, when, it's every, when everything comes, comes, to come, you know, comes to fruition. But the Hound kind of... He thinks of it as a living thing, so he thinks of it like a dog is actually attacking him. But it's a robot. So it's only targeting him for some reason. But he's never quite sure why until it's eventually revealed. And so that hound has never been in any adaptation of this story. Demon robot spider. Are you surprised? Not even the new one? That would be so awesome! Like, wouldn't that be a... Like, HBO could afford a, giant, a, a little robot spider dog? Yeah, they could have done it like a drone. Like exactly, they include drones. I'll get into that. Okay, I haven't. Um, I haven't seen it. I was gonna watch it. I was hoping to get it before we got to this, but I watched happen. it this morning. Okay. I I got I've got thoughts, but I I'll get it. I want to focus on the main uh, parts of the book. Okay, because um, it's an adaptation in name only. There. Uh. Uh, I I think those. We. I mean, the only other parts are this. In this world, we've also got. Uh, the Beatles, the cars that they drive, are basically used to drive a over 100 miles an hour and run things over. It's just uh, battling, bat, bat rams, battling rams. What? Ba ba battle wagons. Yeah, mm -hmm. there you go. Oh, it's weird. I, I get weird synchronicities happening in my life lately where I had just listened to a podcast uh, or an episode of 99% Invisible where they talk mm. about the design of the highway and like how people are really bad at gauging how long the dashes are on the highway. <laughs> um, and it just has to do with them controlling the design of the highway, depending on uh, how fast they want us to drive. So it made me go like, oh, look, they lengthened the billboard because of the speed, and they're controlling everything. <laughs> That's fascinating. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. That makes total sense. How long do you think the dashes are, if you had to guess? 
I think it would about be ten feet, aren't they? The like the the you're talking about the dashes between the lanes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would. I would assume they're just all permanent lines. I think they're like three feet wide, long, not wide. Yes, on on average, people tend to guess two feet, but they are anywhere from ten to fifteen feet long. And I looked in the. My mom was driving yesterday and looked on the other end of the highway, and the little dash was huge. I'm like, jeez. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I'm assuming in this book they're probably like just just straight solid lines. No, but that makes total sense because if you're going super fast, they're gonna go by so quickly. So you think they're Mm -hmm. shorter. That makes sense, and I I bet on the street they are actually shorter. Yeah, um, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Now I'm going to be paying way too much attention to that. Thank you, Melody. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. No, I love, I love that stuff. That's why my usually drives, because I'm too damn ADD. <laughs> yeah, you'll be staring at the at the dashes in the road. <laughs> I got, uh, I got a new car, so I'm like super cautious right now. Well, uh, especially after, what, somebody regretted you? Yeah, I had the car for less than 24 hours, and I hadn't even called the insurance company, and I got rear-ended. Oh my gosh. You just have bad karma. Boo. Literally. Yeah, I mean, like, as far as accidents goes, it's the kind you like. Cars are still <laughs> drivable, nobody's hurt, the person at fault got their ticket, like, they're insured, like, it's fine, it's just annoying as shit, so. Uh, and rant. It just, it just sounds like you have bad karma. Shut up. I <laughs> <laughs> um, just want to keep making that pun. Yep. <laughs> it has been noted. I will run that horse till it dies. Yes, yeah. we, we hear you. We, we, we hear you. I will run that horse until it fucking dies. Go distract yourself with uh, a kitty. <laughs> kitty! <laughs> kitty, come here, let me love you. Uh, My animals know to fear that phrase. It <laughs> <laughs> means shots are coming. Yeah, all right, Elmira. <laughs> That usually means I'm about to hug them and squeeze them and call them George. Hey, my son does the same thing. I was like, come here, Theo. No. (laughs) Runs away. Uh, Is there anything uh, else I'm like, did that we wanted to talk about with the book? Um, Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, like we said, it's very prescient and how he was able to see where parts of society would go. I mean, or at least ended up going uh, serendipitously, but. Um, I really love that they're calling their TV wall a parlor wall, and that's her parlor <laughs> family, because um, it just really does get into the whole, like, I want to go play with my friends, uh, e, I want to go watch my happy television that makes me feel good. Well, I'm, I exactly. went to the point where, like, eventually we're going to be immersed in, like, VR stuff a lot, and it kind yeah. of made me think about how that's going to affect how we deal with escapism and things because then we'll have like families on the vr (laughs) i mean i already lived that life with the sims (laughs) and 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 some yeah but you know what in a lot of ways that was very healthy because i was able to act out some aggression (laughs) or emotional bullshit so that in real life i was cool like it was (laughs) i was able to purge it from like the feelings bank it was good I mean, worst case scenario, it ends up like the Ready Player One movie where it's just there and we have no idea how it actually works because then there's like people running down the street with their VR helmets on because yeah, cool. that was a cool shot, but that doesn't make any goddamn sense yeah. when you think about it. Oh, that movie's a hot mess. We'll get to it eventually, I'm sure. I, I enjoyed the movie, but I had not read the book and I think that's why. 
Yeah, I think yeah. From I from what I hear, that the book is gatekeeping the book. Yeah. Nerd gatekeeping the book. <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, um, as, did we want to? Uh, what would we think of the ending? Because that was the part I skipped. I made yeah. it all the way up until he got out of town, and then I missed the ending where it basically ends in global thermonuclear war. I don't know if it landed the way that, like, it didn't feel particularly triumphant or, like, I it wanted can't. there to be a thing where somehow, uh, like, he finds a place where books are okay and they fight the good fight yeah. and, you know, bring the books back. And instead it's like, oh, well, now all the books are within, like, five people and they're gonna die in the war and then all the books are gonna be gone i didn't find it particularly satisfying or it felt uh, very sequel baity yeah i'm like okay a little bit yeah which is odd because he he was never known for really going into like he never really developed any sequels to this yeah but but that's what that kind of any ending sets you up for at least today that's what that would be oh yeah that would absolutely be god i watched freaking ken this weekend Um, and that was a fun movie for the most part and then the ending is like by the way there's this super cool and awesome part of the story that you're never gonna find out because it's a sequel that's never gonna get made it's just mean it's just mean like, if for a book, you can easily print a sequel to that. For a movie, if that doesn't make back its money, you're, it, like, it we're never going to see a sequel to The Fifth Wave or The Darkest Minds. Or so the fact that you're... Hellboy 2. Or Aragon. Okay, the, the first Aragon movie sucked fucking balls. They don't deserve <laughs> to get to make another one. They exactly. have to redo that one in order to get to... They have to yeah. start over. Suck yeah. balls. Yep. They gotta start over. Um, it's not like Harry Potter. Like, what the fuck was that Razak... Like the beetle covered Razak imitation. And we'll have to get no, yeah, we're gonna fuck that. Yeah, we're gonna get to Aragon eventually, I'm assuming. So we'll we can event our frustrations. <laughs> Sorry. Uh I have some strong feels. Oh, have... and don't get me started on the damn golden compass movie either. Oh fuck that movie. That movie was horrible. Uh, fuck that movie straight to hell. Anyway. Perfect fucking cast. Anyway, sorry. Anyway. Yes. We'll do our we'll do our adaptation cycle at one point. Adaptations. Yeah, is that seriously. Uh but, oh, but yeah, the whole idea of that well, also the idea that it ends every the it ends with the entire city being destroyed, and they're just like, "Oh, hey, let's go see about there's any survivors, so we can preach to them from the altar of books." Mm. Hey, hey, people who just survived global thermonuclear holocaust, how about we talk about books? Yeah. And yeah, that that doesn't really bode well. I feel like if it was. It was more just them trying to reintegrate into society. Maybe like some sort of epilogue where it's like a, a year later or something. I don't know. I don't know how he would have done. How you would have followed this up? But yeah, the idea that oh, the cities are destroyed. Want to go check it out? <laughs> yeah, sure. We got nothing else to do. Um, like, I, I I never like when I was reading the spark notes and whatnot. I, I never really understood where this war was coming from. It was mentioned a few times, but it didn't seem like it wasn't described as though it fit organically into the story. Like the whole story could have been complete without the war in the background. Right. That felt more like uh, because it was written in the Cold War, and that mm-hmm. was always a looming threat. That feels like a carryover from that era. That's fair. It just. The way it was just always described was very clunky and didn't really 
fit in with everything especially, else. And especially with the themes they were going for. Right. How does no books equal, like, have anything to do with... Oh. A war that has nothing to do with the books. Like, yeah. are they fighting over the books? Well, I think maybe like, maybe the idea of the war... I mean, the war they had mentioned had something to do with the prosperity of the society. And then I think that because of the relative disengagement of the populace of this country uh, was... Like, that was the thing that, like, they couldn't... They didn't care about the war, didn't do anything about it because, you know, they were just too busy in, um, escaping into their escapism devices um you know didn't really care one way or another about the war or politics as i did like they had that one discussion about politics where the women were just like i don't know he looked kind of weird and i <laughs> i didn't i'm not gonna vote for him just because he looks funny and <laughs> which is sadly a way that a lot i mean funny funny anecdote with uh with, with uh when women were after women were uh, were were given the right to vote in the um, one of the uh, one of the uh, first elections featuring women as part of the voting populace elected Calvin Coolidge, and one of the main running you know one of the main uh, driving points for him being elected was he was he was cute he was handsome, <laughs> so there was a con- there wasn't all women obviously there were plenty of women who were voting you know v- voting for ba- based on what they who they thought would be the best president mm-hmm. and maybe they agreed with him politically but there was a contingent. Who uh, there was a contingent of you know female voters who voted for Coolidge over his uh, uh, opponent because he was a younger, younger and more well-looking, put-together man. Yeah, so I I think the the war didn't necessarily have to do with the books, but the lack of books contributed to the apathy of the people toward the war. Which, when you don't have the voice of the people informing your representative democracy, then that becomes a problem because then the elected officials just do what they want. So then, then yeah. it can easily spiral into a situation, and then if people don't care about the situation, it just keeps spiraling. Exactly. Um, kind of like the proles in um, 1984. Yeah, I, that's another one I haven't read. What? Yeah, I've been read I was never assigned it, and I never sought it out. Sadly, I, don't th- I, I think never, I only saw the movie once, though. Too. I, I was never assigned it in class, but Faye made me read it. At the yeah, at the read. Well, maybe we'll do that as part of the podcast at some point too. Um, it would work in dystopian. I already picked mine for dystopian, though. I know. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let, I think we can start wrapping this up. I don't think we there's anything really more we need. To say, I mean, the only other thing I would. We're getting kind of close. Yeah, um, the only other thing I would want to bring up is, did Clarice need to die? Um, like, is the is the story better off having her tragic death revealed to us, or would it have been better to like most both adaptations, which I'll get into at the end, were it featured Clarice as a character who lived until the end. See, I, I f- was it better that I feel yeah, like she did only because of to to give us a character that we actually care about enough because the trend in this book's that we're not going to care about many of the people in it because you know they're just hanging out and their escape escapism things we're not supposed to empathize with them as much um, mm-hmm. so she was our character to empathize with and then when they go into how they view death, like the kids just driving around purposely hitting people with cars because whatever, 
and um, how people just don't seem to care when people die. They're going, oh, that person's dead, whatever. Um, it gave us the ability to to feel how wrong that is. Like, if it was just a random character, like, we wouldn't care about it. Or if she was still alive and they said those kinds of things, we might go, oh, well, that's awful, instead of being like, oh, but look what the world is missing. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter if she doesn't die. Yeah, I, my only issue is like that the, the stakes, it feels the, weird. The stakes don't feel real. Yeah, I, I only bring it up just because I feel like it's a missing opportunity to... Like, maybe she died later on in front of Montag, or... But, yeah, the whole, like, oh, didn't you know she died? she's dead now? You're never seeing that character again. Yeah. It, it felt... I mean... That's, I mean, that kind of stuff happens, obviously. That, that shit happens in real life all the time. But the idea that it's... It, like, the idea that this character was introduced as basically the driving force for Montag to do what he does feels very manipulative. Like, it doesn't... Like, it, like that... Sh- like, that shouldn't... Like, the character should not be there just to push the plot forward. But that's... You know, that's just my thinking. Kind of sounds like Bradbury got bored writing her character and decided to kill her off. I mean, she wasn't around very long, so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. I think it was more. um, He, we got to feel Montag not even considering the fact that she was dead. Like he, I don't know, like like when you found out how out of it was he? Yeah, well, I mean, the people care so little about whether people are alive or dead or not. Like it doesn't even occur to you to worry about it or think about it in any particular sense so like to find out that like someone's dead it you know you might think it's a manipulative character choice but at the same time like he it's kind of the first time that someone he actually legitimately cares about like dies and he's like oh hey well what the heck like nope. why do i feel yeah, this why way didn't about you this tell me person about it. what was different here um exactly so, so i think i, I think it, yeah. like while it probably didn't need to happen i think it enhances the story that it did but you know it could be a successful story without it happening too or happening in a different light yeah like yeah having more of an impetus of like how learning like maybe learning firsthand or something like that i don't know um so i think we can get into our recommendations now um we'll start with melody uh did you like the, would you read the book again and would you recommend it to anybody else? Okay, so I really enjoyed it. I thought the writing was wonderful. It was a lovely treat for my brain um, <laughs> to kind of dwell over the sentences and just let them sink in. Um, his writing style is a little difficult to get into, but I think once you're into it, it's fine. Um, fairly quick read, too. I think mine was only like 150 pages. Uh, so I finished it in an evening. Um, I... 158 is the total page count for the no- it's It's a novel. It's a, it's not a full novella. It's a, I've heard it described as a novelita. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It got me thinking a lot. Um, thinking about the way I spend my time and my entertainment and what um, kind of how important it is to be discerning about the media you sort of consume it kind of as a really good refresher in this day and age of mm-hmm. technology gone wild um so uh would i read it again um 
I could see it being very interesting to come back to this book like 20 years from now. Like maybe when I have a kid and hopefully they're assigned this in school, I'll read it with them. And just kind of maybe see how my feelings toward the media, like once it's evolved a bit, um, how it resonates then. So yeah, I'd probably read it again. And yeah, I recommend it. Well, I couldn't read it a first time. Although when I found the synopses and whatnot, um, I it, it kind of fell along the lines of books that I do like, the, the kind of dystopian, the world's gone to shit type stories. Um, so hopefully I will get a chance to read it in the near future. Maybe when school's out? Yeah, maybe. Like June? <laughs> Hopefully, maybe, if I can get a chance to read it between now and another uh, recording, I can... Share your thoughts. Do a 30-second blurb. Exactly. Blurb. That's a fun word. Um, sorry. Um, but other than that, it if I like it the way I think I would, I would probably recommend it, but I can't say for sure. Yeah. Kitty. What does Kitty think? <laughs> uh, Kitty yeah. is off. Who knows where? My Kitty. Kitty is Kitty, kitty is My Kitty would huh. say, "Oh, it was lovely to scratch my mouth against." <laughs> Kitty's a seed. Uh, your thoughts, Diana? Uh, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's very timely. So I always kind of enjoy that, like I did when we, we read Animal Farm. I didn't feel the need to, to yell at you, John, though, so that's good. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, over over what? Oh, over its timeliness, like I did oh. with Animal Farm. I, yeah, I, oh, did, yeah, I, I messaged you. Uh, I, I, my neck, my, my, one, of my, one of my picks is literally about fascism in America. I am bad. I am, my, brain, my subconscious is making these decisions for me. Yeah, so I, I really liked it. Um, I don't know if I would watch oh, watch read it again. You don't need to watch the movies. No. <laughs> the book's better. I, I'm curious about the HBO movie, but uh, I look forward to discussing it one day when my kids have to read it, because I'm sure someone will. Right, and then I had a little like Melody said the writing style is takes a bit to get used to uh it's very it, he's he is also very dry as a writer um but he do, but what but he does have a great way he's some great lines especially from Beatty in this book so I probably won't pick it up for a while um but I can definitely recommend people check it out for something like I I, I definitely like to like more people should definitely read this book to see where they fall uh, in, in you know, in terms of the themes and uh, and what's going on, and it's just you know, it's always going to be one of those books that it's going to be thought provoking, and that's usually and that's what a lot of really good books tend to do. Mm-hmm. And so, I th- you know, I, I definitely would recommend it to people, but I don't know if I want to seek it out again. But I, I you know, I did you know, I didn't hate it, but it's just not the style of book I tend to revisit. Is all. Uh, we didn't get to hear from Max. Poor Max is in a spot where where they have shitty Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. so we can't get it. We'll we'll hear from Max uh, on the next episode. 
But um, I do to give a quick my quick thoughts on the movies. The '60s one is more faithful, but it's also very it's, it's very British '60s. <laughs> it's made by a French director in the British '60s with an Austrian lead. It's a very European movie, <laughs> and it's very of its day. HBO movie basically takes the initial premise and the idea of firemen burning books, and then just makes up its own. Uh, I, I watched a video of it today by a guy named The Dom on YouTube who does adaptation videos, and he basically called it Equilibrium but boring. So I can't recommend you like if you if you're watching Fahrenheit 451 on HBO for. Um, adaptation of the book mm-hmm. don't it's nothing like the book uh, as a movie it's not HBO's best either so mm-hmm. uh, it was it was it, it, but all of that stems from the writing the the cast is great you got Michael B. Jordan Michael Shannon and Sophia Butella as the leads Sophia Butella playing Clarice who is no longer who's who's been turned into an informant for the firemen who are like a police force like, like it's 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 not a it's nothing like the book anymore. It's mm. its own thing. So I can't rec- I mean, I would recommend the '60s one, but it's also very dated and kind of and it, it kind of misses a lot of the points and it misses a lot of the major stuff. But it gets minor things hmm. about it. It also makes the decision to have Julie Christie play both Clarice and uh, Mildred because Truffaut, um, Francois Truffaut. Uh, I believe is I'm not I'm I'm not sure how close I'm getting at. I've heard also heard Trafou. I don't know, uh, but he was a he's a very iconic French director. He had the idea that Clarice and Mildred were opposite sides of the same personality. Like Mildred was the one that embraced modern society, whereas Clarice was the one who embraced traditional society. And Bradbury had no intention of writing that at all. If that was the case, then Clarice probably would have had more of a prominent feature in the book. But yeah, that's what Truffaut wanted to go with. So that's that's why Christie plays both. I, I, so yeah, this has been a fun thing. I probably shouldn't have done this leading into the school year because we've all had trouble getting some copies of the books. Yeah, I've just started, especially the ones that are more. I've started putting things on hold, like the week before <laughs> the next episodes, that I have them, and then I can renew them. Yeah. But, but that I think our first overall I think our first theme cycle was a success. So okay. thank you, Melody, for choosing for choosing you're, you're, our theme. You're most welcome. Uh, next one will be picked by Max, and that's cycle four. So for our next cycle, it's just whatever we wanted to talk about. And at we're for going back to the top of the order. Melody, hey. can you tell us about the book that you picked? Can't tell you much about it because I don't know that much about it. But it's called The Night Circus um, yeah. by Aaron Morgenstern. I don't know anything about it. It was recommended to me on Goodreads because Goodreads was all like, what books do you like? We can't mm-hmm. tell you because you never read books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of them that popped up in there. And I just from the brief synopsis that I had read months ago, it seemed interesting. So um, heads up, so it's a little fun. bit We're... longer. So make sure we get a head start on it. <laughs> it's about uh, yeah, almost four hundred pages, back. so Oof. A little we're going lanky, to a long ones again. Dude. I, I would also recommend that the audiobook is performed by Jim Dale, who did all of Harry Potter books. It's Ooh. it's an awesome audiobook. I'm a big. I was excited Ooh. to see this on the list, so I'm Yay. I'm a fan of this book. 
So this will be this will be a fun. Yeah, this one's fun. This one time. will be fun. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, let's get into those plugs. Uh, do you want to start, with Melody? Yep, I'm on Twitter at at minikui at m i n i k u i. Max is on Twitter as well at maxolotl m a x o l o t l sixty seven. Like the like the little the little salamander. Uh, Diana or uh, Dex, 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 Dex. are you? I don't Twitter. You what are you doing the tumblers? I'm supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You got puppers okay, now. Between, I, yeah, you you got to share your three day old excuse. You know how many don't, Instagram don't, accounts up, are only about Insta- dogs. Set up an Instagram and do, and create a hashtag for your puppers. Mm-hmm. And then just only post pictures of the puppers. Yeah. I, I mean, that's basically what my Instagram has become. It's just Mama Boots. It's a lot of boots. Cats of Instagram. Cats of Instagram. Yeah, there you go. Um, die. Uh, I'm at Modcaster on the Twitter. Uh, you can find my podcast at Macintosh and Mod. And I uh, another one that I've been working on because four podcasts wasn't enough is uh, Kids on Bikes. It's an actual play RPG a podcast that just premiered now, and it's available everywhere. And I'm doing that yeah. with a couple of the other Mabambino what's, people. What's the game again? Huh? What's the game you're playing? It's called Kids on Bikes. Oh, it's just Kids on Bikes. Yes, yeah. Kids on that's Bikes. Actually, that's the name of the. I thought the name of the end, the name of the show was Kids on Bikes? Yep. Okay. Kids on Bikes, where you play Kids on Bikes. Yeah. It's a it's an actual play RPG game. So yeah. a la D and D, but it's not like Monster of the Week style, so it, it, yeah, it's it's gonna be something that uh, so I'll I'll check that out. I've never heard of the that game in particular. I'm assuming it's probably like some kind of E. T. thing. Uh it's E. T. Stranger Things. Yes. It's def- heavily influenced by that. It's very new. It was kickstarted. And so, like, the official book isn't re- hasn't been released yet. Uh, but, yeah. it's it's We're right. having way too much fun with it. So go check it out. Oh, that's always that's always good. Yeah. Uh, then I'll, uh, my stuff is at Popcorn Junkie. That's my main thing. Check out all, all, all of our other stuff at, uh, on, uh, on, uh, uh, on uh, Gumby Cat Networks. <laughs> but uh, you can also send your own suggestions and your own thoughts. And if, you're listen- and if you like the show, send us stuff. At, you can find us on social media. We're usually in the Stacks cast. Um, so, like, in the Stacks cast on Twitter, Living in the Stacks on Facebook, um, Living in the Stacks podcast on Instagram, which I'm not very active on, sadly. Uh, Living in the Stacks on Mastodon, which I've been experimenting with. It doesn't have the user base of Twitter, but and that's its biggest downside yeah. is that it's not very... Not a lot of stuff going on there. We need if unless there's a massive migration of users from Twitter to Mastodon, I don't see it uh, excelling anywhere. But I do like the fact that it's open source and it's free and it's free and it's mo and it's very you know very heavily modded. So like that's the only thing going for it. It just needs the user base. Uh, but yeah, and then of course I'm on pop. I do the Popcorn Junkie podcast. I really want to. Uh, where I'm still in talks with uh, my co-host Mike from Machi Day. To get that started up again, so hopefully that'll be up and ready soon. And then I've been working on a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to try out for podcasts, a lot of Pokemon stuff I want to try out. Cool. Uh, and then, of course, uh, thank you for uh, the Magdalene Rose on Twitter. Uh, Mag- uh, Maggie did our lovely, lovely artwork, and you can also find her on YouTube at Super Princess Tea Party. 
where she does vlogs either about her own personal life or politics or or media whatever whatever work you know whatever is in her on her mind at the time uh, I, I highly recommend it she you know she she's a sweetheart and then of course thank you to our good buddies at dream states uh, go check out their all their stuff on spotify itunes youtube i think mode of being is now available on all the same platforms as uh parts one and two I I even bought the a CD. There's they the specially made CDs that they printed out for their release party look like little LPs. Aww. That's cool. So that was that was fun. It's always fun. Thank so shout outs to them and best of luck. They're 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 stars on the rise. So keep keep your ears out for them and be sure to check them out. Like like we said on any anywhere that your music is streamed, you can find it. And if you can buy the buy the actual music instead of streaming it, that would be even better because that's the best way to support artists. And I think that about does it for this week. So uh, until next time, you'll find us living in the stacks. Yay. Someone needed to say it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Woo. Woo. <laughs>